Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Beyond the Buzzwords, Finding the Right EHS Software for Your Digital Transformation Journey, sponsored by Cordy. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I am moderating today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We're going to start the presentation in a couple of minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the Council or Magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box on the lower side of your screen, I mean, excuse me, the left side of your screen, and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question anytime during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. Now, we'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speakers. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. The presentation also features a resource list of helpful information below the Q&A box. And finally, if you need basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Pam Bobbitt and Bill Reed from Cordy. Pam Bobbitt has worked with prominent environmental, health, and safety software vendors for more than a decade. She was previously an EHS professional for more than 15 years in the pharmaceutical, chemical, and automotive industries, and began her career as a field chemist specializing in hazardous waste management. Will Reed has provided advisory services, environmental health, safety, and quality information management for more than 22 years with some of the leading software providers around the world. In his current role, he assists with corporate sustainability initiatives and EHSQ data management, along with designing solutions that incorporate evergreen regulatory content and audit processes. Pam and Will, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Alan. All right, and thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, we're going to take you through a little bit of a, a journey. Um, we're going to talk about digital transformation first. What is it? We hear it. I don't know about you, but uh, see it about five times a day, uh, whether it's, you know, looking at um, articles or through emails, um, hearing it on uh, the news. You know, we're going to talk about what it is. Uh, we're going to play a little buzzword bingo kind of helping you define and understand not only what these buzzwords are, but how they affect you and, and what you should know about those buzzwords. Then we're going to talk about requirements. Like as you're doing a digital transformation journey, to really understanding what it is that you want to accomplish uh, with your technology. And then uh, lastly, we always like to talk about some best practices and use cases. So we'll share a couple of those as well to help you understand um, some of the initiatives that your colleagues in the industry have been undertaking and the success that they've had. So let's start our journey. Digital transformation, again, hear it all the time. What is it? Uh, you know, different people have uh, different terminologies for it. It's top of mind. Uh, if you it, right now, if you want to know how you get the attention of the C-suite, 
Say Digital Transformation, and, and you will have their ear. Um, and the reason is, is that it's really this ongoing with all the technology changes that are happening. It's the integration of technology into the areas of business, right? Fundamentally changing how you operate and deliver value to your customers internally and externally. So as you're doing that, of course, everybody knows as you're introducing technology, it's also affecting that cultural change within the organization, right? Changing the status quo. And you really need to um, be able with technology today, uh, experiment. Um, try things out and not be afraid to fail. You know, understanding, you know, what type of technology to bring into your organizations to drive that value. Why is it on top of the CIO's mind and the C-suite's mind? Um, they're investing in this, again, to perform better and to make the demands of their stakeholders. It's projected in 2022 that companies are going to spend nearly $2 trillion on this digital transformation journey, investing in technology to support their uh, operations and improve their operations. So it's really time, um, a great time for EHS, who's always been um, a little bit lagging in adopting technology into their programs uh, for one reason or the other, mainly sometimes because it's always been harder for us to, to get that budget. Um, but it's, it's time for us to uh, take advantage of this and jump on uh, that digital transformation bandwagon with the buzzword. What are the benefits of digital transformation? So some of these, you know, it's standardizing processes. Right? Technology can help us have um, standardized processes. What does that value bring to companies? It's really around, you know, streamlining if you have initiatives called workflow efficiencies. It's really helping streamline those processes so you get uh, better information, better data, getting visualization to identify those risks. Right? Um, easier reporting, how many times you know, have you manipulated uh, those wonderful um, spreadsheets and had you know, the corrupted Excel going on and trying to correlate that data um, and all of that administrative hassle that you have to go through to collect all of the different pieces from different systems and bringing that together. And of course, that's going to help you communicate more effectively within your different departments um, and break down those silos. I know Will has been um, working on this for a couple of years and seen a lot. So, Will, why don't you kind of tell a couple of stories um, around these benefits of digital transformation? Absolutely, Pam. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, uh, in my most recent, um, uh, you know, professional uh, world uh, in consulting, you know, we saw digital transformation not only for our customers, uh, but also internally. And and digital transformation, uh, you know, for many industries, you know, doesn't necessarily mean going from clipboard to spreadsheet. It may be going from fairly complex spreadsheets to, um, you know, more centralized and, uh, you know, available. Uh, technology throughout the workforce. So, for instance, from uh, you know, from auditing, being able to use consistent auditing 
uh, handbooks, uh, but but doing it on mobile devices, right? And and so that when you wanted to push updates to your uh, auditing team, uh, you could do that simultaneously and and have them you know be uh, available to the entire group and and um, you know those results be able to come back. Uh, you know, right away in that new format. So, you know, I, I think digital transformation, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, going from primitive to using, uh, you know, an electronic device. It can be, we already use some electronic capability, but we're just not as organized as we want to be. And we want to share data. We want it to harmonize processes a little bit to do things more efficiently. And we want to be able to trend and track across the organization so that we can really pull some meaningful data, um, you know, for not only sustainability reporting, um, but for instance, if, if we're, you know, submitting information for, uh, you know, incident rates uh, to ensure that our insurance rates um, are as low as they can be to our industry peers. So there's lots of great, um, you know, benefits and, and lots of, uh, you know, improvement capabilities with digital transformation processes. Yeah, and of course, as we talk about digital and all of these different technologies out there, we 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 run into a plethora of buzzwords. Uh, here are just a few that uh, that we you know that we see, and there's all a lot of confusion that goes around. I've got two different sets of lists here. Of course, we can't go through all of these um, buzzwords, but wanted to focus in on a lot of them that really impact and how they impact you as we discuss in the agenda. So, you know, cloud, SaaS, um, artificial intelligence, uh, platform as a service, data lakes, data warehouses, uh, metadata, actionable insights, machine learning. There's all of these different uh, buzzwords that we hear. And, of course, when I came over into technology about a decade ago, um, I, I didn't know what, what SAS was and, and what that meant. And um, so it's really great for us to really understand. And everybody interchanges these, so there's a lot of confusion. Uh, so let's talk about a, a few of them. And before we go into that, just kind of want to, you know, kind of level set. So all of those different buzzwords, here's our first poll question of the day, right? How familiar are you with these buzzwords? So just select which one, right? I, I've, you know, kind of familiar with less than 25% of them, you know, greater than 75%, just to kind of understand. Um, familiar is, you know, um, you've heard it, maybe not know the, the, the definition, but you've, you've definitely, you know, run into these. So I'll just give everybody just um, a couple of seconds here. So chime in there on how familiar you are with the buzzwords, and let's see. All right, so about, um, you know, almost 50, well, 41% of the attendees today, um, about 25 to 50%. So great, hopefully we'll help you as we go through these kind of have a better understanding of those, uh, those buzzwords going on. So let's take a look at the first one. All right, SaaS and cloud, right? 
um, we hear these interchangeably, and they don't um, they don't mean the same thing, right? Cloud computing and SaaS are different, but they're closely related terms of the same idea. Um, so we'll we'll go into this. Um, you know, first we'll define cloud computing and SaaS. Uh, so cloud is is cloud-based software. Um, it's rather mainstream. It's based on applications that are hosted and other um, areas like on the, in a hosting facility where SaaS is really, again, um, that technology difference on the back end, right? So that the way that the technology and the um, database behind that is structured. So it's really important, right, to understand that difference. So um, in short, cloud computing is a network of remote servers and hosted systems, right? So just thinking, taking your own, like, homegrown systems, if you're using a homegrown system, and put it in another facility, right? That's hosted. But on a SaaS service, and I know we'll kind of come in and, and bring a little bit more to this, um, but the, the SaaS services, from the technology uh, behind it, right, you have a structure in that database that allows you to um, update information, capture information in such a way that you aren't making any disruptions to, to the database. So Pam, just taking this a little bit further, you know, uh, you know, let's talk just a little about how we interact with these systems. So, um, you know, for most of the users of uh, EHS and quality um, systems, uh, it, it's relatively unknown, uh, and there's really no difference to an end user. Um, is this a uh, cloud system, or is this a software as a service, or SaaS? Um, where you're really going to find the difference here is from an administration and a cost perspective, so a, a total cost of ownership and, and, and how you incur those costs within your business, um, you know, from a, um, you know, capital uh, versus kind of a yearly maintenance type of, of budget. So, you know, what we've seen with, with industry is that traditionally the way that, that um, applications have transitioned is, um, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, most of the systems were installed locally. You know, there were client server type versions of, of software where there was a central database installation and each PC would, would be tethered to that, uh, to that main one. Um, you know, in the advent of advanced uh, technology, that went from essentially browser-based, but it was still behind the firewall of that company. And so the, the next step was going to cloud, which essentially took that server behind your firewall or inside your company walls, and it put it into an external hosting center. So it put it somewhere else where it was perhaps in a, in a more secure, safe, and guaranteed environment. So for instance, um, you know, many clients who are, uh, you know, had, um, you know, needs for constant uptime or, or things that where they needed to guarantee several uh, internet service providers simultaneously in the event of outages, uh, they would go to great companies like SunGuard or, uh, you know, other data hosting centers that would say, hey, we have 
secure site um, and we can allow uh, constant uptime. Uh, going to SaaS, that changes the game even a bit more where you're saying it's not just your application hosted on someone else's server. We're now talking about um, everyone within that application essentially sharing the same code base. Your information is still stored separately. However, uh, the entire group benefits from that changing uh, code base and improvements. And so companies like Cordy and like other SaaS-based companies, uh, Salesforce being one, uh, eBay, you know, all of these other platform services, they can make upgrades where that is seamless to the end user. Um, at Cordy, we have what we call a, a do-no-harm policy where we can make upgrades, but it's optional for our users to uh, you know, implement some of those new things if they feel that they're not quite ready uh, from a business perspective. But from a cost perspective, um, it really, really drives um, the cost down and into, uh, you know, more of an operational and OPEX expense um, to where it's easier to manage over time. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about the cloud versus SaaS, you know, it really kind of pushes that maintenance burden back to that software provider uh, that specializes in the area um, so that you as a user do not have to worry about that. I'm sorry, Pam. If you're uh, transitioning there, if we can, uh, oh. if we can get your audio back on. Uh, thank you so much. I am uh, chatting to myself on mute. Sorry about that. Um, so, <laughs> as we transition, um, we're going to talk about customization and configuration um, in a little bit. But we're transitioning to now on apps, um, and those of you. Uh, like me, I, I think of as an app as something that is on my mobile device, right? Those uh, save icons, those icons that you see floating around there that are typically on our mobile devices. But really, an app is anything that is, that's just the modern term for a software application. So an app can be something that you are accessing via your laptop. Um, so, uh, but again, most of them think about that an app as being on that mobile device. And there's um, a lot of things that are, are great about that um, and the way that technology is moving forward and how we address those. So apps are more than just those that are on your mobile, but again, we talk about mobility mostly when most people think about apps as I do. 
And then, of course, there are things such as the what's called the native app. So depending on which um, mobile device that you have, you download those. And there's also the ones that are called the responsive apps, which really give you a better security on accessing that information um, via the browser on whichever mobile device that you're, you're using. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, applicability of, of mobile technology and, and applications. Um, and when I think of this, you know, I, I go back to where I started my career, which is in, you know, power generation and, and you know, the energy business. And, you know, we started with, uh, I'll say, technology uh, the most when it came to, you know, calculating air emissions, uh, you know, doing continuous emissions monitors and, and trying to consolidate data, um, you know, back for, for reporting purposes. And so, uh, amazingly, you know, the mobile side of technology has, has been around for close to 20 years. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, however, that was being able to take a laptop uh, into a production-type facility and, and wondering, okay, do we need to be uh, you know, in a certain area? Do we need an intrinsically safe device? Um, how do we need to operate from a tech standpoint? Y you know, that has now switched significantly um, with our app world. And in, you know, the advent of, of smartphones um, has just accelerated that capability uh, immensely. So even though the mobile side of technology has been there and has been available, uh, in the EHS and in the quality world, it, it, it's been slow to implement. However, in the last five years, uh, it's probably been, you know, the greatest turning point, you know, of the EHS software world. Um, and, you know, people want to do as much as possible on mobile devices because, you know, they tend to do other things in their lives on mobile devices. And, and, and they expect that the EHS world um, should be able to operate as, uh, efficiently and simply uh, as every other app uh, that they can access from online banking to buying airline tickets to doing whatever you want to do. Uh, if I can get in, do what I need to do and exit, get on with my day, uh, then that's a good thing. Um, so we're seeing a lot of companies go to a mobile first type of approach, meaning that, um, you know, uh, you know, Cordy, like other companies, is really focusing on where are most of the users going to interface with the data uh, and with the system, and, and that's through a mobile technology. Um, doesn't have to be from a phone. It can be from a tablet. It can be from a laptop, or it can be from, you know, even a desktop. But it can have uh, the simplicity of a of an app. Uh, when we talk about, you know, specializing or or tailoring that user experience, so. Um, you know, again, the, the, the same principles apply to how we want to get to this data. Uh, we want it accessible. We want it visible. Uh, but we want to still guarantee the quality. So we want to make sure that that user experience is simple, uh, yet uh, is complete enough to, to allow the workers to do what they need to do. And we're going to get into that importance of data quality. And because that's the beauty of that mobility and um, the apps, because you are getting it straight from the source. So instead of, you know, entering data on, you know, a spreadsheet out in the field or capturing notes in a notebook and then having to come back um, just thinking of auditors, right, uh, 
they would make notes and collect information, and then at the end of the day, um, after exhausted from, you know, eight hours of uh, getting information, you're having to re-key that in to some type of system. Um, and so, you know, you're losing maybe some of the thoughts that you're doing. So um, a lot of things with that mobility and the, and the data quality, which leads us into some of the next buzzwords around data warehouse and, and data lake. Um, I use this because I think it's really straightforward on explaining the difference, right? Um, so uh, a data warehouse, you know, you've got structured data coming into a system. Um, I'm going to date myself. Back when I started my career, right, the rage was access uh, databases, which were really great and structured for getting information in. Not so great to get information out. Um, but kind of think of that, that structured input, um, you know, can be large data volumes, but it's not agile, right? It's, it like, it's fixed and you're putting information in, and you could get structured like reporting and, and data out. Now with data lakes, right, you're dumping a lot of information, um, structured, unstructured, all kinds of information in, um, and it's a, a really – uh, high agility to configure and reconfigure. So a really great way of, of making sense of all of this data with those algorithms and data scientists putting together to try to make sense of all this information that you're throwing in. So it doesn't have to go in and all the same way like we would, again, I think, um, or Excel, you know, spreadsheets. Think about that as kind of a data warehouse. Data is all going in very structured, where data lake, you're having all of uh, lots of different information coming from different sources, and then using um, you know algorithms uh, and have to do data scientists to kind of make sense of all of that information. So let's look at a practical application of, of data lake versus data warehouse. And, and I know that if we have some IT folks. Uh, you know, joining us today, this is probably a more familiar concept, but, uh, you know, the, the structure of a data warehouse, uh, again, has been, you know, technology that has existed and probably exists in, in many of the uh, systems that you use today, meaning that uh, a warehouse has something that you know where to find it, it's cataloged, um, you know what row, what column uh, to go get it. And, and we can relate, we can have those relationships uh, so that you know where to find things fairly easily and you know how things interrelate. Um, when we talk about data lakes, we now are getting into an area to say, look, let's mix it all together and let's take a look perhaps at some relationships that we didn't know exist before. And when we look at the capability of data lake versus data warehouse, is that we can now get into some really interesting concepts around, um, you know, what, what, you know, gaming theory and, and some of the more uh, what we would consider high-tech or, or more leading-edge technology companies have done, which is let's look at how the human interface works with some of the day-to-day. -day. And so we look at, for instance, data lakes around uh, incident rates or incident management, meaning can we – put a bunch of things together and look for correlations that we might not have been able to find otherwise. So we can look at some structured data, for instance, of, of things that we collect from our facility or from the field, 
but then we can import all kinds of other data from other sources, meteorological data or, um, you know, certain other events that were occurring at the time. And to say, do these types of influences have an effect on um, our incident rates? Um, can even be the amount of uh, daylight or sunlight, times of uh, sunrise, sunset, right? Do they have impacts on how light enters our facility and how workers can have either enough light to do work um, or not have enough light? Or what are some other things on temperature and other sensor data? So we're seeing a lot of applications of Data Lake to where um, you know, we need to be able to help make decisions if the data helps us or if it really is kind of inconsequential. So when we look at Data Lake uh, concepts, it, it really is, is um, uh, opens the door to so many possibilities. And again, we come back to data quality of, you know, with that lake process that we can come in and say, uh, what does the data tell us uh, about the results that we're getting and do we need to change process or do we need to change how we collect data to get uh, more meaningful insights? Sam? Uh, thanks, Will. And it really leads us right into our next topic on our uh, buzzword terminology around business intelligence and data um, analytics. A lot of people interchange these terminologies. Right, business intelligence is really kind of the reporting that we've really been doing. And data analytics takes that information you just discussed about, all these different elements, and looking at how that can impact, right? Um, we hear a lot of things about uh, predictive and prescriptive analytics. And it's really important for people to understand, one, right, to get that information, you know, how it's coming in, and the fact that if you're putting that into that data lake for that data analytics, that true predictive and prescriptive, the importance of the data quality in there. Because, of course, the algorithms, they learn and they get better. But the better your data quality, right, um, the standard way of putting in information, the completeness of the information, is really going to affect that um, result, right? So taking that from a prediction a lot of people think about, right, okay, so if I have all this information coming in, say from, you know, uh, equipment data and, you know, uh, my inspection reports that are structured, but I'm getting some more kind of unstructured data from equipment and I want to analyze what is the prediction of, you know, that piece of equipment shutting down or, you know, that can affect uh, you know, an employee um, and potentially have an incident around that piece of equipment, that it, the data quality being good from all of those different systems will help increase that prediction. And then people want are saying now, right, that they want these, you know, analytics, oh, well, you can just tell me what I need to do. Well, they can only tell you these algorithms. Of course, they're learning better from that data, but the better your data, the better that they can explain to you some of the things or make suggestions of what you should be able to do. So let's again look at some practical applications um, of, of business intelligence and, and analytics. And what I really want to focus on here is, is actionable insights. So 
uh, we, we had a situation recently where we're working with a client in the um, food and beverage uh, industry. So this was a, a, uh, a processing plant, um, and we're looking at, at incident rates and, and root cause. And as part of root cause, we always look at employee training. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, seasonal work and, and temporary work that was coming in, and uh, the client was trying to understand, are we giving the appropriate training for the job function or for the job role um, that was there? And so this particular client um, was able to, on the uh, badge, um, the ID badge of, of their workers, to look at, uh, from an RFID perspective, where in the facility were they? Okay, so were they at their station or were they in various other areas? Um, you know, just to make sure, for instance, that, you know, the training uh, that they were receiving was appropriate for the station uh, where they were working. What some of the data actually showed was that the training was appropriate for the job function. However, that particular uh, group of employees spent much more time in other areas where they did not have safety training, right? Where there, there were some chemical hazards, uh, there were some uh, machinery hazards um, that, that those workers may not be aware. And the workers, to their credit, were trying to do the right thing and, and help uh, their coworkers. However, they didn't realize that they didn't have the appropriate training um, in, those, in those areas where they were going, okay? So what we're able to see from, from you know, the, the analytics of this, you know, was that the training, in fact, was correct for the job. However, the employees were not where uh, they thought that they were supposed to be, okay? And so when we look at uh, you know, again, quality of data and insights, you know, we're able to make the determination, okay, there, there's a couple things. One, those training programs can now be expanded to say, if you do need to go over this area and help out, there are certain things that you absolutely need to know because we do not want to have, um, you know, any adverse things happening, um, not just for the company, but obviously for the workers and, and getting every home, everyone home safely. Uh, but, but on the other side, you know, just saying, look, um, you know, are there, are there physical things and are there training things and are there educational things that we need to do uh, to really improve? And so having access to that data uh, and being able to really drive improvement, uh, you, you know, the client was able to see an immediate impact, um, not just an incident rate, but actually from a culture standpoint of uh, the employees feeling that the company was taking care of them. Um, and, and that they had their best interest in mind, which, you know, was correct. Um, but, you know, the data was able to prove that. And so when we look at that intelligence and that analytics, um, you know, we really want to, you know, drive actions uh, that, that improve for all. Sam? All right. Let's go into my favorite um, that everyone mixes up. Customization versus configuration. Uh, again, this is one of my passion projects to help educate everybody. So I have um, a bicycle uh, jacket, um, a cycling jacket here. And, and it's really great because it kind of shows that difference. It's configurable, right? So if you look at that jacket, you can have it both long sleeves. You can put, you know, zip off and have a short sleeve and a long sleeve, and it doesn't matter. Or you can zip off 
um, both sleeves and just have it sleeveless depending on the weather as you're cycling. And this is a great example of a configuration. I don't need to be a seamstress to change my jacket. I can simply use the tools. I know how to operate a zipper um, and, and zip it up and I'm good to go. Um, I don't have to send it back to the uh, manufacturer and say, hey, could you make these changes for me? You know, I really, um, I'm right-handed and my, so my right arm doesn't get as cool as my left arm just because it's more active when I'm breaking or whatever that reason. I don't have to ship it back to the manufacturer for them to do it for me. So think about that and apply that to technology. So technology and configuration, I'm able as not even a tech professional, an IT, you know, guru, I can make changes myself easily, know how to operate, you know, um, basic operating systems. So I can um, easily add to pick list. Um, I know those typical icons where I can, I can do that. I can easily say, oh, you know what, I, I want to um, capture some additional um, comments here, and so I want to add a field. Um, I can do that on my own without changing any structure of the system or, as Will mentioned earlier, doing any harm to any future um, releases and updates to the, um, to the system. So uh, think about that instead of customization, which is, Remember, I talked about having to send it back to the manufacturer to make those changes to my jacket. Well, customization, you would have to only request that from the technology vendor to make those changes on your behalf. That, that's a customization. It's a change in the code, um, which makes it difficult, of course, when you're doing releases that what you do with that, with that custom code and, of course, the cost not only that's, hey, well, charge you because I'm sure that if I want to make any adjustments to my jacket, I'm going to get charged for that. So you're not going to, so you would get charged for that. Plus you have to maintain that um, customization as you go through any releases because it is custom code to that system. So I think this is a really great way. Think about it. Anything that you can do, right, on, on a, a technology system, that is a configuration. Uh, and there's lots of examples out there of what you can do now. And it's not going to change anything versus a customization where you are actually changing code to the system through a specialist where it's making it, um, difficulties when you're doing those upgrades and releases, right? So think about your phones, right? You have releases all the time, no matter which device that you have, right, the latest release of that operating system is available, right, you can do that update and it doesn't change any of your icons, the way that you've, you know, put them together or organized them. That is configuration. You've configured your mobile device and when there's a latest update to that operating system for that device, it doesn't change anything that you've done. It doesn't affect it. It doesn't break it. 
so let's again uh, look at some examples of of you know why customization or why configuration. Um, you know, going back again to uh, you know early years of, of systems to help manage. Um, it did a lot of work with some specialty chemical companies uh, that had uh, you know tens of thousands, if not over hundred thousand uh, chemicals, right? Uh, be it intermediates or, or compounds that they were working with. And many of those companies would take off-the-shelf software programs and, and customize them a bit because the uh, software then was able to essentially be a repository of uh, their intellectual property. You know, it, it was able to essentially be the center of their differentiation uh, in the market and, and really hold the keys to um, how they were successful. Uh, you know, fast forward that a little bit in that companies then have migrated to say we know that there's a there are a lot of leading companies that have spent a lot of money on process improvement and on management systems and uh, you know programs to really uh, to do things efficiently we want to benefit from that and, and we want to benefit from uh, you know the the amount that they've put into technology and working with uh, you know, software companies to to kind of make that into their core, but we're really not that complicated, and and we want to be able to maybe have a bit more simplified version of that to be able to scale uh, to our organization. So, you know, we've done a lot of work to say, you know, um, the the software can be configured, meaning that you know we can now. Uh, you know, do some things with the software to make them, you know, optional. Fields can be hidden. You know, things can be much less uh, hard-coded as they were uh, many years ago. Uh, technology has driven this immensely. Um, you know, having everything uh, web-based and, and applying some business rules to things. Um, but that, you know, small to mid-sized companies can now take advantage of, um, you know, complete functionality of an incident management or a quality management system, um, but they may not have all the components uh, that some of the larger uh, industry players do, uh, it, but they want to take benefit of that. And, and so when we talk about customization and, and difficulty going forward is, um, you know, the great thing about customization is that you have it exactly the way you want to. Uh, the downside of that, though, is that you have to reapply those customizations every time there is a software release. Um, and, you know, software releases used to be 12 to 18 months. So maybe that was a cost that they can incur. Software releases now are typically, you know, for software as a service providers, such as Cordy, those are three times per year. And so the amount of burden on the IT organization and, and even on the business to come back and say, we need you to verify that everything works like it should, you know, to go through that process three times a year, you know, then becomes uh, a lot of burden and, and a lot of frustration on the business that they spend more time uh, in a QA mode than they actually do, uh, you know, kind of in a day-to-day -day operations mode. So, you know, Cordy has really moved to, you know, the, the um, you know, configuration model, which is, you know, our customers do not customize because the platform is, um, is changeable. It's flexible enough to allow you to do what you need to do, um, you know, without having to get into that code base. Now, the important concept to this is we still can allow 
uh, and SaaS companies can still allow for uh, integrations with other systems. Um, so if you have a, a um, an interface that allows, then, you know, for instance, integration with HR or maintenance management or production or other systems that you have, yes, we can absolutely bring that type of data in, but that's not a customization. You know, the systems can communicate and, and, uh, and allow to exchange information without having to get to that code base uh, and make fairly complex changes. Pam? All right, we've gone through, and hopefully this giving you some insights on and clarification on on terms uh, and kind of kind of that business applicability to those. And now let's going to get to um, requirements. If you're a Harry Potter fans, hopefully you recognize this is the room of requirement. And I thought this was kind of nice because again, coming off of that, you know, configuration element. Um, and technology and all the different choices that are out there and new technology coming up, it's, you know, it's really important for you to understand what actually are your requirements. And we'll go through this. Um, we've got kind of a general list, but, you know, some of the things that uh, I think about as we start into this is the fact that um, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, it, the system, I must have email notifications, right? I want email notifications anytime this has changed. I want to be alerted, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, uh, you, do you really want email notifications? Because, you know, how many emails do you get a day? And, of course, most systems have email notifications. But, it ha you know, do you really want that influx to your already probably um, busy inbox and what is it is really your requirement? It's that alerting. So what are the ways, the most effective way into your business process? Because if you already are getting multiple different emails a day and then you're going to be in, you know, have this influx of, of emails coming in, you're going to get, you know, kind of bored of them. And I guarantee you'll put them in and they automatically go into a folder and you won't look at them, which like defeats the purpose of what actually probably your requirement was. So, Will, why don't you walk us through a couple of different of those uh, scenarios? Uh, certainly. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the requirements of, of, you know, as we work with our uh, consulting partners, uh, and, you know, we, we have a lot of customers who have a really good idea of, of the way they want to do things, um, but when we work with our consulting partner teams who, who have lived this for many, many years uh, and bring a lot of good industry expertise, you know, we can kind of help sort through some of the, uh, you know, I'll say the difference of, of the need to have versus want to have um, and in those types of things. And, and as we get through requirements, uh, you know, many times, you know, we, we've worked with our customers to say, you know, hey, we really want to get email notifications that can do this, or we really want to, you know, we want all these folks to be notified. As we actually get through the requirements and then kind of talk through, okay, um, let's talk about the change to your organization and, and how, you know, doing something in a system or in a newer system, how that can help you. And, and what we found is that often the, uh, you know, the need to have um, changes a bit or, or sometimes goes down to a, you know what, uh, maybe we just don't really need that after all because we're talking about operating our, our business in a, in a bit more 
um, efficient way. Okay, so you know what we really want to do with requirements is have an associated value with that. So um, you know, Cordy in in our for instance, management of change capability, um, you know, we want to show those who are, you know, approving processes or, or submitting processes for change can see exactly where that is within the system, um, but they don't need to be, uh, you know, flooded with emails as to every time uh, that goes through the system, right? Um, so, so there are dashboards and portals and things that can give a lot more meaningful information around those requirements um, and uh, in allowing them to make decisions efficiently, okay? And that's really what we're after here uh, from the requirements is just to understand what is your business driver? Like, what are you really trying to accomplish? And, and let's take a look at how we can do that most efficiently. Um, you know, I think part of the requirements review uh, and again, our consulting partners really help with this is, you know, understanding what has gone well and what has not gone well, um, you know, in implementing these systems before um, so that, that expertise can be shared and, and, and you don't have to um, repeat mistakes of, of those that have come before you and decided that, hey, maybe that, that wasn't the best way to do things. Okay. Yeah, and I think to that last point, one of the things that we see a lot of times as you're doing, you know, this digital transformation journey and, and using, you know, the newer technology and changing to newer technology is to not, you know, recreate, that's a bottom line one, not recreating what you currently have, right, um, and understanding, you know, really, as you mentioned, sort of, I call it the pain um, that you're trying to solve and, and how that technology. So that, that goes a little bit to your maturity, too, and the fact of, yes, it may be a little bit uncomfortable because it's new and it's different and it doesn't look like your old system, but that's not a bad thing. So as we're talking about, uh, you know, all of this technology and it, uh, we're talking about buzzwords and we always know that there's obstacles, right, to, to implementing new technology, um, whether it's, you know, the change management. Uh, now we've told you typically, sometimes it's budget, but, you know, there's a lot of investment going on with digital transformation, so I don't think that's going to be too much of an, of an obstacle. But let's get a feel of our, what obstacles that you are, are facing because, again, um, right now with technology, it's bringing all the different departments together. So is it, you know, what's your barrier? We, we always talk about barriers and risk and controls in EHS. Is it siloed departments and lack of that, that you know, collaboration that everybody agrees that they're going to use the same technology or that um, how to use the technology? Is it budget still? Um, is it fear because there's so many choices out there that you're going to pick the wrong technology? Or is it just the fear of change? So I'll let you th everybody think about that for a little bit, for a second here. So what is, think about, you know, um, bringing technology and trying to put new technology or different technology or even adapting or broadening your current technology stack within your organization. What's your biggest barrier? All right, we have kind of a three race here between budget and fear of using the wrong technology. Uh, we 
actually see this uh, a lot on, on fear of choosing the wrong technology because it is a big investment. Um, and of course, we hear all the horror stories of um, technology uh, and trying to put in programs and, and, they, and they fail. Um, so what we're going to do now, hopefully, which will uh, address a lot of those fears, is we're going to um, talk about the, um, the, the best practices uh, so that you don't have to um, be fearful of, you know, choosing the wrong technology and hopefully um, getting that budget. So again, if you understand those requirements and really working with somebody to say, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve, you know, that can help you um, pick the right technology partner um, or partners depending on the pains that you're having. But as we go into um, some of the best practices, I know that uh, one is, you know, around it's communication and those stakeholders, right? Um, having the right people and representatives in the same room and kind of having not only a governance, um, you know, body around this on, you know, what you're going to select, uh, but even with changes, making changes so that you're not starting out with something great and then it starts, everybody starts to put their own flavor to it and it turns out to be kind of a cobbled mess. Um, and that, of course, you know, strengthens with communication and, and visibility. But I will, that's one of the things um, on projects we've been involved with over the years on, you know, having that governance model in place. Absolutely, and and you know the governance model starts um, essentially on day one. Uh, that you know when when we talk about involvement of you know users all the way up to executives is is understanding um, how the system will be used. Uh, you know, communicating the expectations, and and just like with any other process within the company, um, you know, having a very visible and accessible application. Um, and, and change process, right? So, you know, in governance, you know, we always want to make sure that we're, we're driving towards good quality, um, but we're also, you know, driving towards improvement. And we don't want to necessarily, uh, you know, do things the same way, but just in a new tool. Um, we actually want to take the time and do it right and, and make some changes, make some improvements. And we know that business is dynamic, and so things will change. And the system that you're using five years from now uh, likely will not look the same as it does today uh, because of regulatory requirements, technology changes, uh, you know, merger acquisition activities. There's lots of influences that drive it. Um, but, but, you know, part of this governance process in, in the communication is having the visibility to anticipate what happens. So if we know for instance, that, uh, um, you know, that there are some changes that are coming from a regulatory perspective, we can anticipate what would be required at the facility level, um, know what the cost is, and be able to institute that change um, proactively and, and not worry that we're exposed in areas where we just don't know what's going on. My, my, one of my favorites, again, it goes along kind of with that configuration customization. Um, you're not a unicorn, right? Uh, we, I, we see it all the time. Um, I, I see it where everybody's like, oh, but we're, we're special. We're unique. We're like, are you? And if you are, why, 
right? And and so that comes down again to looking at those requirements and, and why you're so special. Um, what is it that you're really trying to achieve and having those conversations? And if you really kind of go through it, like, um, you know, there are a lot of now industry best practices. Why are you so special that it's different than those industry um, best practices? Or even we see this even between um, facilities when you're trying to roll out global uh, elements um, where they're like, oh, no, but we're different. Well, yes, you know, there, there's a common theme. So let's take incident management. There's a common theme of, you know, structure of reporting incidents. And, yes, there are some elements particular to specific countries based off of regulatory information. But if you take out, you really can look at, okay, 85% is standard. And then based off of geographical, you know, differences for reporting and regulatory capabilities, then there's a difference. So don't think of it as it's completely different. Um, you're not a unicorn. Look at that standard that you can bring across. What percentage of it is usually pretty high, and then you can do that configuration um, to uh, to meet those specific requirements based off of regulatory needs. So let's talk about one of the best best practices uh, here at the top of the list, which is don't go too fast, but fast enough. Um, you know, that to me is one of the most important having been, uh, you know, uh, an implementer of these systems uh, for, for many, many years, which is um, you don't want to rush into things, but you need to move fast enough that, um, that you can fulfill a promise. Okay, so uh, we, we get into some organizations sometimes where we get feedback um, that, you know, hey, this initiative has been going on for two and a half years, um, and we're just not sure that it's ever going to happen. Okay, and and there you you tend to lose some of the uh, the momentum that you had in, in the buy-in from that um, user community. And so you know, going down to that third bullet of invest in change management. You know, your your change management and your communication plans uh, for how a system um, will roll out. Uh, is absolutely critical, and, and it will, you know, you, you kind of have one chance to get it right, um, and that's not to say that the system can't change over time. It absolutely can, and it should. It should grow as the business grows or as your requirements change, um, but it is critical to be able to hit a timeline of at least, uh, you know, initial meaningful technology rollout uh, that, that you have. So, that means not necessarily we're going to do it exactly the same way that we've been doing it in a spreadsheet, but we're doing it in a system. No, you, you can do things a little bit differently or a little bit more efficiently, um, but make sure that that's something that you can tackle in three to four months or maybe four to six months for a larger organization, or that for a global organization that that can maybe at a year you have all your facilities rolled out under, you know, for instance, uh, you know, a safety incident management program where, you know, each uh, geographical area has a bit unique requirements there. So, um, you know, understanding and, and that best practice is really, you know, keep that momentum up, keep your promises to your workforce as far as how fast you can go. Um, and many times that does involve the right business partner to get you there. That can be implementation consultants, um, that can be outside consultants, 
Um, that can even be your industry colleagues that have been through that before that can talk you through um, best practices and lessons learned and things that they've discovered, you know, through, uh, you know, organizations. And uh, in, in that network of people that have kind of been there, done that, uh, is incredibly powerful to your success. Sam? So let's talk about success, and I know we're coming up at the top of the hour. Uh, let's get into a couple of those. Um, so it is possible um, to succeed and to get um, everything right and to show the value within the organization. When a large government agency um, did a complete digital transformation of one of their um, programs, and uh, what they saw was improved engagement with the employees. They had a carbon footprint reduction because they went completely digital. So think about all of the different forms and paperwork and, and things. They decreased their paper usage in the first three months by 60%. That's a huge cost savings um, to the organization. And they decommissioned 75 different applications and databases, uh, which, of course, um, helps with the administrative burden, not with it, only within your organization, but also IT as well. So engage, you know, you're making things better for your fellow colleagues. Uh, and, of course, that improves security. We hear it all the time with technology. People are fearful of, you know, um, and, you know uh, sensitive data being um, transferred. Well, when you're going to one system instead of 75, among other things, that's going to improve your security. Uh, global oil and gas, um, talking about that, you're not a unicorn. Uh, three different separate divisions globally across, they went to an 80% standard process on waste management. Um, resulting in transport cost reductions because they have visibility so they can optimize transport. They did commission 84 applications and databases, again, improving the visibility and, of course, optimizing their um, carbon footprint because they're streamlining that transport. They're not having any necessary shipments um, going on. So lots of things that digital transformation can do for you. And I don't know if we left any time, Alan, for, for questions here. I don't think – I think we've uh, run out of time, unfortunately. Um, so, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you to you both for your excellent insights and expertise. And we want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking uh, you to complete. Uh, the survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve our future webcasts. And if you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And as I said, unfortunately, we have run out of time, and I'm sorry we didn't get to, to questions. But uh, feel free to submit your questions, because all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speakers. And once again, we hope you take the time to fill out our evaluation survey uh, to give us your feedback. And that ends. Uh, Today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Pam Bobbitt, Will Reed, and everyone at Cordy, and of course all of our listeners. Have a safe day.